0: DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. For over 20 years, Dr. Bunsen has been active in the area of Catholic social communications and education, including writing, editing, and teaching on a variety of topics related to church history, the papacy, the saints, and Catholic culture. He is the faculty chair at the Catholic Distance University, a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and the author or co-author of over 50 books, including the Encyclopedia of Catholic History and the best-selling biographies of St. Damien of Malachi and St. Kateri Tekakwitha. He also serves as a senior editor for the National Catholic Register and is a senior contributor to EWTN News. The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Dr. Bunsen, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Wonderful to be with you, Chris, as always, especially to talk about uh, another of the great Franciscan doctors.
0: St. Bonaventure, an interesting fellow who was a peer of St. Thomas Aquinas, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Imagine the the loss to the church uh, within months of each other in 1274 when Thomas Aquinas died. And then in July, on July 5th, uh, 1274, uh, Bonaventure uh, joined him in death. It's kind of hard to appreciate uh, the loss to the Church of these two brilliant uh, theologians, saints and doctors of the Church. But it it gives us a bit of a glimpse into the, the power of the 13th century that began with the work of Francis and Dominic and in a lot of ways ended with the passing at the same time of both Thomas and Bonaventure.
0: Talk to us about Bonaventure, his childhood.
1: Yes. Well, as, as was always uh, the case with so many of uh, the, the Franciscans and the Dominicans, he uh, was somebody who seemed destined uh, to great intellectual heights, and who, along that path, suddenly found themselves in in a very different universe from the one probably that their parents had anticipated. Instead of a purely purely academic setting uh, or a purely ecclesiastical one, great minds like Thomas and, and, of course, Bonaventure found a different path, and that was the Mendicants. But the connection between Bonaventure and the Franciscans was one that began at a very early age. We, we know that he was born in Tuscany, not too far from the city of Viterbo. It was part of uh, the then papal states. We know very little about his actual childhood other than his father, was named Giovanni di Fidanza, and his mother, Maria Ritella. Now, I mentioned that he seemed connected uh, to the Franciscans at a very early age because he was. There is a generally accepted story that, as a child, uh, Bonaventure was miraculously healed by none other than St. Francis of Assisi. Now, obviously, Bonaventure did not grow up knowing Il Poverello the St. Francis, but there was that tie, and it is said that, uh, according to, again, fairly restated tradition, that his nickname, a Bonaventure or, or going well, or, or coming well, a good adventure, a good journey, began uh, with that healing when Francis seemingly had this understanding of this boy's destiny and called him Bonaventura.
0: He would attend an academy or university, would he not?
1: He would, and. and as was again the case with uh, very promising young men, he was sent to study. At the time, uh, one of the great places in Europe, of course, at the university. You had Oxford, you had Bologna, but then you also had Paris. Paris became like a magnet to those who aspired toward great intellectual heights. And unsurprisingly, you had uh, figures like Albert the Great, Albertus Magnus of whom you and I have spoken, uh, Thomas Aquinas and a host of others gravitating toward that university. We know that uh, drawn to the life of the mendicants, finding again that different path, not one of pure academics, but also not one of pure ecclesiastical achievement. Bonaventure was drawn to the life of the mendicants and probably entered the Franciscan order around 1243 and the order understood immediately what it had much as it did with uh, Anthony of Padua sent him to study at the University of Paris. Some of his professors probably included great minds at the time like uh, Alexander of Hales, John of Rochelle and others really from the time that he arrived there and, and this is something that we've talked about with other doctors there was this revolt against the mendicants in some of the more traditional uh, academic circles, especially at the University of Paris. Bonaventure in his time there uh, was caught up in that drama. The academics there, the professors, many of them resisted the idea of the mendicant life, that you could be like a monk, like uh, a unique religious and still fulfill uh, at a purely brilliant uh, life of scholarship. Bonaventure, Thomas Aquinas, Albert the Great, all of them proved in fact that you could but there was great resistance and it, it took a while then for Bonaventure to complete some of his studies but we know that probably around 1257 uh, he earned the, the title of Master of Theology Uh, We think of master uh, an MA today as sort of a transitional degree that you hopefully move on for doctoral studies. That was the case, but uh, to be a master of theology in that era uh, was the end point of years and years of study. And you can see Bonaventure really coming into his own. And he was given the degree around the same time, almost on the same day as Thomas Aquinas. I always come back to the relationship. We're going to talk more about that, especially Pope Benedict XVI's perspective on how those two looked at theology. But imagine uh, the conversations. Imagine what it would have been like to have shared a table uh, with Thomas Aquinas and Bonaventure, and that is precisely what happened on his everyday at the University of Paris.
0: It. Is easily understood, I think, for many who appreciate that the order of preachers, the Dominicans, would foster this this love of learning so they can transmit it. Hence, you would have someone like a Thomas Aquinas who would rise up uh, to be such a star. But it may be a little bit more of a struggle to understand how an order that has a charism that focuses on lady poverty, as it were, sure. <laughs> would have someone like a Bonaventure.
1: You and I actually discussed uh, a very similar question in the life and, and the work of Anthony Padua, who was a brilliant homilist who had a an incredible mind for theology. Francis, you're absolutely right, uh, looked at the study of theology uh, with some concern. Why? Because he was worried that the, the dry academic study of theology would take away from the this contemplation of Christ, that academic study uh, would drain the faith away. And and as we've seen over the centuries, uh, Francis's concern, I think, was a very valid one, that we see, especially today, the, the supposedly scholarly study of theology done separate from A life of faith and belief and and prayer and pursuit of holiness can, in fact, uh, be truly detrimental not just to the spiritual welfare of of the person who is studying the theology, but their product, that they can lead others into error and and terrible spiritual crises. Bonaventure grappled with those very questions throughout uh, much of his life, but he Came to it in a, a very profound way of understanding uh, the the role of Francis in helping the theologian to appreciate his task, and that is to see in Francis somebody who was truly united with Christ, who was conformed to Christ, especially uh, in communion with Christ uh, with the stigmata, to become uh, that alter Christus. And he understood as well the, the need for theology in the life of the Church, but also the, the contemplation, the contemplatio of the great mystery uh, that theology takes as its primary enterprise. And we're, I know we're going to talk more about uh, Bonaventure's theology, especially his theological program. But Bonaventure helped to established the Franciscan presence in a way that uh, was only beginning prior to his arrival in Paris and that was to stand sort of as equals intellectually uh, with the Dominicans. The Dominicans very quickly, uh, as you and I have talked, established themselves as the great theological minds of the Church. Bonaventure helped to demonstrate that yes, the Franciscans also had an important role to play in that contemplation of the great mysteries of the faith. And as a result of his clear genius, he was named very quickly, in fact, by 1253 uh, to hold the the chair of the Franciscans at the University of Paris. And we know that he was probably ordained around 1248 uh, at that time Uh, He also began to lecture extensively at the University of Paris, including on some of the the most important theological uh, documents and and tools of his era, including, for example, the Book of Sentences by by Peter Lombard. And he went on to write uh, a commentary. But his value wasn't simply to be one in the halls of study. The Franciscans understood, much as Francis did, with, with Anthony, the value of the person who was there in front of them, which is why only at the age of 36, it, it, it seems impossibly young, uh, around uh, 1257, Bonaventure was chosen to be the, I believe, the ninth general of the Friars Minor. Uh, he held this post basically until just before his death, some uh, almost two decades or 17 years later, and went on. To be honored as uh, what's called the second founder of the Franciscans.
0: That in itself really speaks about the man because he was elected to that position by his confreres, his brother Franciscans.
1: Yes, exactly. He had a lot of work ahead of him uh, as the, the head of the Franciscans. Um, the, the order had grown rapidly. There were probably, at the time of his election, some 30,000 Franciscans spread out, uh, not just in Europe, but they were now found in different parts of the world. But think of the Franciscans who made their way all the way to China uh, and, and the court of the Mongol emperors, the Khans. So the Franciscans seemed to be everywhere. But there was, within the order itself, the ongoing tensions of how rigidly they were to adhere to uh, the first rule of St. Francis, which, of course, had been uh, a source of discussion, debate, and even division in the decades uh, prior to Francis' death and then immediately after. As head as minister general of of the Franciscans, Bonaventure also had to deal with the, the group that was called the Franciscan Spirituals, uh, in particular those who followed uh, the the figure of Joachim de Fiore, who argued that we should be taken up with the spirit, that we were looking at uh, a new age in history, uh, that the spirit is the one that should encompass everything in the church. In fact, they would argue that the the church had fulfilled her role in history and now had been replaced by this community of free spirits guided by the by the spirit. Now, looking back on it from our perspective, we we see similar problems emerging out of the the Protestant revolt, but we also see similar deformed ideas of the church Uh, in today's thinking uh, that you don't need to have a church that you are spiritual but not religious and all of the things uh, that we grapple with today uh, were at risk in in that era. Bonaventure had then to deal with uh, those tensions created by the Franciscan spirituals and he studied the writings of Joachim de Fiore and tried to then steer uh, the, the, real theology, uh, that and, and the real theology that Francis intended and the real theology that Francis tried to live. And Bonaventure wrote extensively uh, about the, the place of the church and how to interpret history. And it goes back again uh, to the way that Francis was united with Christ as well as... Uh, the ideas, the false ideas, the wrong ideas uh, that were emerging out of the spiritual Franciscans uh, toward the risks of chaos. But it it was also an opportunity for Francis to look at um, the place of God in history and the, the journey of progress. Pope Benedict XVI reflected extensively on Bonaventure in fact, he was one of the great minds uh, in the last century uh, on the writings and theology of Bonaventure. He wrote one of his dissertations on him, and he makes the point that that the church is not stationary; she's not fixed in the past, or that there cannot be, as as Benedict puts, no any newness in her. Rather, Christ's works do not go backwards they do not fail but they always progress and that was one of the points that bonaventure was trying to make the idea of progress and we can see that in his theology Uh, and and it's a beautiful way of approaching the, the apostolic church the spread of the faith but how the faith is always relevant and meaningful to us today in whatever era in which we find ourselves
0: we'll return in just a moment To The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages
2: and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hello,
0: my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. Or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Doctors of the Church. The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Uh, Much of Bonaventure's, not only his teaching, his preaching, but also the way that he conducted affairs with the Franciscans, had a rich anchoring in prayer, did it not?
1: Absolutely. Uh, We can look at uh, one of his uh, books in particular, uh, and that's the itinerarium mentis in deum, which means the, 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 the journey of the mind to God. And he saw this as much like uh, Aquinas did with the Summa Theologiae, as a fairly basic manual where Thomas wanted to write the Summa as a basic guide for would-be uh, seminarians and theologians. Bonaventure saw uh, this as a manual for mystical contemplation, for spiritual progress. It's immensely practical, and it's notable that he wrote this at uh, Mount Laverna, where St. Francis had received the stigmata. And one of the things that, that Bonaventure stresses right from the start is that contemplation Uh, The love of God is something that you have to work at, that it is something that does not come to you. Uh, You don't sit around and simply ponder. You actually have to work at the spiritual life. He understood innately, probably better than any of his contemporaries, the role of the perfection of the virtues in the spiritual life. He was criticized by some of the Franciscans uh, for not being excessively uh, obvious in his self-mortifications, in how he mortified his mind and body. In point of fact, uh, Bonaventure did not engage in those sorts of public mortifications because he was able in his mind, in his spirit, to perform them. And what I mean by that is that he practiced the virtues uh, in his own life to such a remarkable degree that it was commented about him that the sin of Adam seemed to have left no imprint on Bonaventure at all. He seemed to his contemporaries to have perfected the virtues in almost every area of his life. But he did that by the stern application of the will in himself and He did not feel the need to practice the sorts of mortifications that were commonplace for others, because those were not the temptations he was facing. Uh, He advanced remarkably in the spiritual life, but always came back to the necessity for practical application of the will that contemplation requires the perfection of the virtues to a heroic degree both the theological and the cardinal virtues, but it is also, of course, rooted in something. It is rooted utterly in love. And we're, we're going to talk more, I know, in the next episode about the Bonaventure's uh, theology. But love formed such a foundation uh, for everything in his life uh, from his theology, but also to his spiritual life, to his contemplation. But he added something else. It becomes very clear uh, in his writings, especially this The Journey of the Mind to God. And that is that mystical contemplation, mystical union, is not simply for a select group, a select few. Quite the opposite. It is for everyone. And this is uh, uh, a vital theme that the we have seen before and we will see again in in the great teachers of the faith, I I think especially of someone like Francis de Sales in his discussion of the fact that holiness sanctity is for everyone because God wants everyone to be holy, he wants us to be with him. So the accessibility then of mystical contemplation if it is for everyone is attainable uh, for everyone But again, it's not an easy path. Um, It is a narrow gate, Um, but when it is perfected, uh, it it is often left behind by those who are unwilling to put the work into it, but it doesn't mean that you can't achieve it.
0: He had a great love of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and he encouraged a devotional prayer to her.
1: He did. Uh, He is... uh, generally considered on several occasions to have been uh, the person who introduced the custom of saying the Angelus. That alone, I think, is a reason for us to honor him. But but beyond that, uh, he loved uh, the the Blessed Mother, and in particular, I think, placing his trust in her. He always turned to her. I think that's one of the reasons why he wanted uh, to mark the hour of the day in which uh, the, the, the Blessed Mother uh, was was visited, uh, and to remember uh, the fiat of the Blessed Mother. But also her role as Theotokos, uh, as the Mother of God, as somebody that we can turn to ourselves in our hours. And he delivered quite a number of, of really beautiful uh, sermons, on her.
0: He also would see the value of the homily mm-hmm. and its importance in guiding the faithful and that the preparation and the use of scripture it was essential. Am I correct in that?
1: Absolutely. He uh, devoted himself very diligently to the study of scripture when he was at the University of Paris in his formative years when he was working toward the his master's degree. And then of course as he progressed toward Becoming a genuine doctor of theology. As was the case with the, 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 the mendicants, especially the Dominicans, but the Franciscans too. Here were religious who were going to be out in the world, who were living the mendicant life of transforming culture. He understood, I think, very very well uh, the fact that the one of the entry points for That dialogue with culture of touching the minds and the hearts and the souls of of the faithful was through good preaching. Now, good preaching entailed what? It entailed an an awareness of Scripture and a knowledge of Scripture, but it also meant uh, an ability to communicate, an ability to speak to the heart, uh, as well as clarity of how you're speaking. Long-winded homilies, uh, he understood very powerfully, served no real great value uh, when you bore your audience. And as a a good homilist, I think Bonaventure understood how to touch, how to reach, how to communicate. But then in in the traditional understanding of, of education, educare, to draw out, to draw out of, uh, those who heard him uh, the important lessons of imitating Christ, of living Scripture, and then of course uh, perfecting the virtue. But the other thing that that he he talks about, and this brings us back to some of his spirituality. In his writings, he talks about uh, the, the the wings of the seraph. Uh, the six, the traditional six wings of the seraph, and, and it's that imagery that helped us to understand why he's called the seraphic doctor. He compared those to the the six stages of the journey of the soul from the knowledge of God through the contemplation of God through mystical union, and he talks about the fact, and he admonishes his readers, his listeners. To understand that mystical union with God is not something purely from instruction, but grace. It is not purely intellect, but it is desire. It is not simply the dry study of theology, but it is the, the, the crying of the heart. It is, it is prayer. It is not the professor, but the spouse. It is not man, he says, but God. And this way of expressing, of living, um, as, as a magnificent intellect as he was, what Francis was trying to communicate, that initial danger that we talked about, uh, about theology, that it can be dry, it can be separated from the faith. And so Bonaventure, in his time, like Aquinas, was taken up with the question of faith and reason. But as, as beautiful a mind as he had, in exactly the same way as Thomas Aquinas, Bonaventure understood that it, it must be a very careful relationship. One cannot supersede the other, but faith especially has to have its role in the study of theology if you're going to communicate what? that central teaching of love.
0: Isn't it interesting that it would be those uh, little ones, Anthony and even Bonaventure, that would be elevated to the role of doctrine in the church, and yet their founder, Francis, has not?
1: Similar questions are, have been asked uh, about other great founders. I think in a way, uh, those founders, Ignatius, and Dominic, and Francis would prefer it that way, that what they established could be carried forward by their heirs and their successors, and that what they built was true, was real. Uh, But all three lived with such profound humility that I I don't think they would have wanted it any other way.
0: I look forward to our continuing conversation on St. Bonaventure. Thank you so much, Dr. Bunsen.
1: A privilege to be with you, Chris. Looking forward to our next episode.
0: You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this program along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax deductible to support our efforts but most of all we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for the doctors of the church the charism of wisdom with dr matthew Bunsen.